Welcome to Pilgrimage Stories from Up and Down the Staircase. I'm Matthew Anderson. During this time of limited travel, a lot of us are sticking close to home and missing the long-distance trails we love. Maybe your hiking boots, like mine, are looking pretty forlorn these days. If you, like me, love to walk, there are lots of virtual pilgrimages you can do right where you are. As for me, I've been walking up and down my staircase. While I do, I think about the folks I've met and the paths I've walked. I'd like to share some of those with you. In this episode of Pilgrimage Stories, we're walking from downtown Montreal to Ganawagi, Ganyagahaga territory, that is, Mohawk territory. We keep walking straight. Sound good? Take a look at the cross on the way by. That metal cross on the way by is from Mohawk steel workers on the bridge. In 1942, at the height of World War II, T.S. Eliot published his work, Four Quartets. That piece of writing contains the poem, Little Gidding. In it are these lines. We shall not cease from exploration, and the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and to know the place for the first time. Little Gidding is in Huntingdonshire, England, about an hour and a half by train from where I'm walking up and down these stairs for this podcast. I know Huntington well. I also know Eliot wasn't writing about pilgrimage as such, but his words apply in a deeper sense to this podcast and to the stories I've been telling with each episode, because it was only after all of those stories, walks, and fellow pilgrims in Norway and Scotland and Spain that I began to realize maybe I was ignoring the land and trails I call home. Those places had been right under my nose all along and closer to my heart don't know me, my name is, uh, my English name is uh, Kenneth Deer, Dr. Deer to some of you. And, uh, but now I'm, I can't get used to that and I, I'm still insisting that people just call me Kenneth, never mind the Dr. Deer stuff. Um, by the way, I want to thank Concordia for that honor. Uh, it's, uh, I really, really appreciate it. I, um, uh, my Mohawk name is Adzahayandu and uh, it means the fire still burns. shrine in postmodern pilgrimage has become perhaps arguably this is something the self uh-huh. what do you mean by that this is a great by the way this is a great gig all I do is come in here and ask you questions it's yeah nice. I, th- I think the um, the relationship between the interior self and the journey um, is a mark of postmodern pilgrimage my name is Sarah Tarot, and I teach in the Department of Theological Studies at Concordia University. So the site of transformation in a dynamic journey mm-hmm. um, becomes the self. It's the self that is the constant right. as the terrain changes, location changes, okay. and so on. 
I and that's not totally outside the realm of traditional pilgrimage either. No, because repentance is a change in oneself. Right. Uh, but it's also a change in one's uh, interactions with uh, with the community, yeah. with the wider community. Yeah. If you change it, yourself, yeah. you change your relations with others. Yeah, yeah I think so. Okay. Um, yeah. I, I wonder, and I just want to make a... You're hearing Sarah Thoreau, another part-time professor in the Department of Theological Studies at Concordia University, Montreal. It was Sarah Thoreau and I who, in 2014, started what became an annual pilgrimage with our students from Vieux-Montréal, or Old Montreal, to Ganawagi. It's a small pilgrimage, just over 30 kilometers, but it's had a big impact on my life, and I think on our department, even on the university. Pilgrimage so far. I loved it. Yeah? Yeah. What part? Everything. Everybody. Yeah. The walk. A lot of long walks start with realizations. Sarah and I were at an international pilgrimage conference at the University of York in 2014. Speaker after speaker from North America or Australia presented their papers on one European or British pilgrimage after another. We did the same. Eventually, Sarah and I realized that none of us were talking about the land from which we came, where we lived. Why was that, we wondered. Could it be that we who are, who are settler Canadians have a kind of unhomeness, a kind of lack of comfort with the land where we live that comes perhaps from the growing realization that it was stolen from others who are right now fighting for their sovereignty? We have our own constitution that predates European contact, called the Guyana de Goa or a great law of peace in our, in, in, in our language, and where we, we bound together the five original nations, the Mohawks, uh, Oneidas, Onondagas, Cuyugas, and Senecas, into one federation of you know, five nations that, that, made, that made peace with each other. I, 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 might, I might not remember the story. <laughs> give, me, give me a prompt. <laughs> okay, well, this, okay, so tell me, uh, if you could, tell me, um, Sarah, a little bit about uh, where the idea of, a, of, as you remember it, where the idea of a walk to Ghana. Right, right, right. So um, as we developed and, and taught the pilgrimage course, we um, took students on historic pilgrimage routes um, in Europe. So, of course, the Camino uh, de Santiago, and, uh, and then we took some students to Ireland. And um, then suddenly at one point, the penny dropped in terms of the, the irony of, of flying 3,000 miles to um, another place. Um, but one that we sort of had to leave our own land that we're, we, we are embedded in. And, and you also had to have a lot of money to do it. So you had to at least be able to buy a plane ticket. And so in our conversations, we thought we really should be walking the, the land that we're living on. Immediately, uh, as you think about walking in, in, the Americas in general, and North America, and Canada, and and uh, and, and Montreal, particularly even, um, we realize that we're walking on indigenous land. We were old enough to remember the Oka crisis. 
Canada's Truth and Reconciliation Commission was just then in the process of putting together its calls to action, including specific challenges to universities to open up their teaching to Indigenous issues and concerns. And as far as we could see, that would apply to pilgrimage teaching as well. What about walking with our students, a pilgrimage that recognized these issues in Montreal, we thought. We got more and more excited as we discussed the idea. Sarah and I decided that if we could have some guidance from the Ganawagaronan or the Mohawk, we could study and perhaps design a walk that might help us and our students understand more fully what's required for decolonizing ourselves. Out of that moment and the discussions in England came two different initiatives. Sarah and I began planning the first Old Montreal to Ganawagi walk for our students and ourselves. And I started on the side thinking once again about a long trek out west on the prairies. But that's the subject of a different podcast. Anyway, that's a crash course in, in our, our philosophy and our history and, and our stuff. That flag at, at the end over there is, and you'll see this everywhere, that's the uh, uh, Hiawatha Belt. Hiawatha, by the way, is a, is a, is a, is a, a Mohawk uh, a chief title. I, um, I, we say Iowanta um, in our language. So uh, uh, that flag, you'll see those original five nations uh, from, from the right, the, the first box is the uh, Mohawks, the second is the Oneidas, the, the, the middle is a tree, the tree of peace is the Onondagas, after that is, is the uh, Cayugas, and at the other end is the, is the Seneca. Later on in the 1700s, the, the Tuscarora moved up from the south and asked to come under the protection of the, of the, uh, of the five nations, and uh, we, we included them, and that's how it became the six nations. So that's uh, this little piece of history. And of course, you've seen that flag every now and again. That's uh, called the warrior flag, but actually it's, the original name was a unity flag uh, designed by, by, by Louis Hall. And it was uh, one, one man, one feather, you know, one, one people, and, and the ob his objective at that time is to have, that all Native people should come together as, as one. It has taken on other meanings uh, in, in, in the meantime. Yeah. It actually stands for resistance these days. Yeah. And this flag here, the women got upset, well, how come there's no women on the flag? So he, he designed this one and, and had the women were there also, because the women are also warriors and, and, and fighters, you know, defenders of the land. Our urban pilgrimage started at the 18th century Chapelle de Notre-Dame de Bon Secours in Vieux-Montréal, or Old Montreal. This church was built on the site of the original 17th century chapel in what was then Fort Ville-Marie, a colonial settlement of New France. Its establishment was the inspiration of St. Margaret Bourgeois, who lived from about 1620 to 1700, who was Ville-Marie's first teacher and the founder of the Congrega uh, Congregation de Notre-Dame, or Congregation of Notre Dame. Let's talk a little bit about the, uh, about the route. Uh, we started off saying uh, we'd like to go Old Montreal to Ganawagi. Why, why particular from uh, Old Montreal to Ganawagi? What are those two fossae? Right, so um, Old Montreal, uh, specifically the uh, Bon Secours Chapel in Old Montreal, was um, explicitly uh, built as a pilgrimage church. So we have uh, right away a very early um, uh, French cultural uh, icon um, that was intentionally um, 
made for pilgrimage and also remains a place of pilgrimage because uh, the, uh, the relics of Marguerite Bourgeois rest there. Uh, but of course, that's a colonial space. The other pole of this two-destination pilgrimage that we had designed was Ganawagi on uh, Ganyagahaga, or Mohawk territory, on the banks of the Lachine Rapids on the south shore, uh, or located by the south shore of the island of Montreal. Ganawagi was itself a kind of an itinerant village, having migrated from what is today upstate New York to various locations along the banks of the St. Lawrence during the 17th and 18th century. Um, at that time, the land was uh, considered by the French to be part of the Seigneurie Sceau de Saint-Louis, granted for the mission by the Jesuits. One of those sites on the river was the second and final home of St. Gaudery de Gaguita, or St. Cattery, uh, known to some, who lived from 1656 to 1680, who was the first North American indigenous woman to be canonized by the Catholic Church. Uh, Gaudery traveled with her community as a child and eventually walked to the Ganawagi mission to join other uh, converts, Christian converts there. It's a little-known fact that St. Gaudery, the Mohawk convert, also journeyed to Ville-Marie to visit St. Marguerite Bourgeois, the French settler. Uh, what those connections? So, um, Gaudery de Gaguita, who is, uh, was a, a Mohawk a woman from upstate New York, um, had converted to Christianity in the 17th century, and in her own, I guess, kind of a pilgrimage, was certainly a journey, uh, made her way north uh, to the, um, the mission settlement of Ganawage uh, on the, the St. Lawrence River. As a Christian convert, she was um, familiar with Marguerite Bourgeois' work and, uh, and probably very likely would have met her. Uh, Marguerite Bourgeois was uh, certainly interested in, within the horizons of her own uh, worldview, was interested in um, working with uh, Indigenous young people. Uh, she taught Indigenous uh, children and even put up a little bit of resistance to the French crown who, uh, while Marguerite uh, certainly her agenda was to Christianize uh, Indigenous children. Um, she did resist the French crown's um, desire to also, uh, I don't know what the, the verb is, Frenchify them, Francisize them. So you have this relationship, or this meeting at least, between these two, uh, these two important women. The relationship between the worlds of these pilgrim women structured our route. In that relationship, we found the historical roots of the ambiguity and the ignorance that still mark the two, the relationship, especially that Montreal, that settler Canadians and Quebecois um, and other Quebecois have with the, um, with the communities. Once in Ganawagi, our pilgrim group visited both the Roman Catholic Gaudery de Gaguita Shrine and, uh, perhaps more importantly for us, one of Ganawagi's traditional longhouses, the center of traditional Haudenosaunee spiritual, political, and social life. You know, this reserve is twice, it's only half the size it's supposed to be, you know. This, this reserve is supposed to go all the way up to almost, uh, almost La Prairie, you know. It goes out to Candiac, uh, 
um, you know, Saint Costas, and uh, all of these communities are are, are all on are, are all on what used to be called the scenery. And 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 uh, you know, we would clear the land, and, and and people would rent it, and then next thing you know, it's not ours anymore. You know, the priest or uh, Indian agent, you know, would would sell it to their family or their friends and stuff like that. So we would lose. Uh, you know, encroachment by, by non-natives has been, been severe. Dr. Matthew Anderson is one of the lecturers who's organized this historical and spiritual journey for students on the in the pilgrimage class. And uh, he's on his cell phone walking. I think you're walking. We actually are uh, just sitting down, taking a, a much-needed break after I uh, led the students astray this morning. I think we went for a three-quarter kilometer um, uh, detour, unexpected detour, when I missed my turn. And uh, now I'm not entirely sure if they're trusting me anymore, but uh, <laughs> they seem to have forgiven me for the moment, at least. And if you hear any sounds in the background, it's because we are um, in a kind of an area where they're uh, an industrial area. There are tar pits and they're loading uh, freighters, lake freighters right here. Now, you walked from old Montreal yesterday. You made it to the mm -hmm. South Shore. How did the weather cooperate with you? Oh, we had fabulous weather yesterday. It was absolutely perfect. It was uh, a little bit uh, rainy in the morning, and it stopped as soon as we started walking. Uh, it was cool, um, sunny, and enough wind to keep the bugs off us on the seaway. That voice you hear is Sonelli Karnick, the then host of CBC Radio 1 Montreal's All in a Weekend. Sonelli had interviewed two of the students walking the pilgrimage that year to Ganawagi with us and was checking up on me and them along our walk. It's funny that Sonelli should have been asking me about the path at that particular place and that I should have lost it just then because that last bit of path had always been the trickiest. Sarah Thoreau and I had had some troubles nailing down the last bit of the path into Ganawagi when we first planned the pilgrimage. When we first plotted out the route, we'd stopped in the suburban community of Sainte Catherine, which borders Ganawagi. We knew that uh, we would come off the seaway at the lock there and the Catholic Church of St. Catherine of Sinai had graciously agreed to keep our group overnight in the church basement, right beside the lock. What we didn't know was if there was a route we could follow on foot, the last few kilometers from St. Catherine into Ganawagi. We stopped by the city hall of St. Catherine. The person who met us folded her arms over her chest as soon as we asked her about walking from St. Catherine into Ganawagi. No, she answered us firmly. There is no path. You will have to take the highway, which means closing the road and getting a police escort. I can call them. Can't we simply walk along the river, we asked? No, she repeated. I've lived here 30 years. I know you cannot walk from here into Ganawagi except on the highway. Sarah and I beat a hasty retreat from the municipal office that day. Five minutes later, with the help of Google Maps, we found the route along the river that we'd suspected must be there. Ten minutes later, we were driving into Ganawagi. When we stopped at a local Ganyagaha coffee shop, we asked. Sure enough, they knew that you could walk along the river into St. Catherine from, Ga from Ganawagi. The problem wasn't impassable terrain. It was impassable settler presuppositions. <laughs> between 1661 and 1667. We're not sure exactly when, but it was built by Francois Lebert, who was a rich merchant of Montreal. And he was very rich, as you can see, because he built a very big house. In 1668, the first date here on the wall, he sold the house to Marguerite Bourgeois.
for them to go to Ville Marie with, without the roads was three hours to walk over there. Maybe not that bad today, but back then it was a long Didn't ride. take us three hours. <laughs> Another interesting element uh, about Marguerite Bourgeois, is, uh, she, her, her prime education goal was to uh, educate the filles de roi, so the young French women who were sent over uh, as, as basically children, teenagers at any rate, uh, to marry the French settlers here. And so, uh, and their, so their story is also interesting to, to just imagine being sent as young women across the ocean and uh, to this new land that wasn't theirs and must have been very frightening and, and uh, overwhelming. <clears throat> so their story too gets, gets woven in there in, in all that really rich complexity. And our walk always took us by um, the uh, Maison Gabrielle and the, uh, that, that mural. Tell me about that mural. Yeah, yeah. So it's a, a mural um, on, I think it's the uh, St. Gabriel School. Um, and uh, it's by a, a Montreal uh, mural collective called MU, MU. And uh, so they're responsible for a lot of the really interesting uh, murals in, in Montreal. And it shows the the fille de roi. So uh, it, it's a kind of a frieze of uh, of young women in uh, in 17th century uh, garb, um, but from the neck down. So there's a sort of a, a reference, I guess, to the anonymity of these young women. But um, the some of the details in the painting. Uh, are especially interesting in uh, so in terms of addressing that anonymity some of their actual recorded names are worked into the clothing in some places and likewise the uh, interaction with indigenous people is also represented uh, in, in part of the mural so uh, so these young women and their bodies become the the sort of central metaphor um, for that complex history that's that's uh, that's being that's unfolding around them and and uh, so yeah it's it's a, it's a very powerful piece of public art I think. Sarah and I had started thinking about a pilgrimage from Old Montreal to Ganawagi as a way of learning more about Indigenous territory. Our pilgrimage became a way of experiencing, in our own bodies, the distance between cultures and experiences. Well, there's two, there's two points to this I, I want to talk about. One is, uh, uh, speaking at the UN, um, because we, believe, we, we are governments, we refuse to register as non-government organizations, NGOs. So we, we have this, we, this wall, you know, that we refute, like the, the Haudenosaunee will not register to speak at the UN as an NGO because we're a government. For us, this is our land. This is our homeland. This is the only place in the world that we can exercise our right to self-determination. It's the only place in the world that we have our ter territory. Now, um, collectively, how, how do we do this? It's, it's, it's a little difficult. Um, are we... Uh, 
we, we do have a, there, uh, in Iroquois communities, there's two kinds of uh, governments, all right? There's our traditional government that, you're, you're, that you're, you're here with our own constitution and chiefs, clan mothers, et cetera. And then you have the Indian Act governments, you know, the, the elected governments that are imposed upon our, our, our communities. So in every community, like this one here, there's an elected uh, uh, a body that gets all the money from the, from, from the government, and you have us who, who are self-sufficient. You know, we, you know, we, we just, we, we rely on ourselves. The, uh, the people who went to the UN in 77 and, and 81 and all these uh, 80s and 90s, these were all traditional governments that were going to the UN. It wasn't the elected governments that were, they don't have that, the same kind of sovereignty positions as, as traditional governments do. Okay, you guys ready? Here goes. Jaden Jocelyn, Majestic Matthew, Red Robin, Manly Matthew, Sweetly Sarcastic Sophie, Radical Rudina. It's interesting that we, that we, uh, that you and I uh, decided to sort of do, um, to do this thing in reverse in a sense, uh, at the beginning anyway, by walking from Old Montreal, um, and actually, in fact, walking from McGill, from the, from the, um, the Rock, yeah. uh, to uh, Old Montreal, and then from uh, Vieux Montréal to uh, Ganawagi. But we didn't have anything like a Catholic uh, group of students with us. Uh, the students who typically would have gone on these, who typically go on these walks with us are really a typical Concordia group, which means what? Uh, multicultural. <laughs> so coming from um, across uh, ethnic and racial and religious and in terms of the university across disciplinary lines, it's a real, it's a real um, richly various group of students that we've had. And they're learning, uh, of course, about uh, Indigenous culture, which is, you know, something that they often know very little about but they're also learning about the the uh, colonization history and even about um the religious culture of uh, of montreal which they tend really not to to be uh, terribly literate about and we've learned as we've uh, as we've walked with the students and and things like um for me personally something that i i never thought of uh, directly and, and spent time thinking about but is so important and was pointed out by a student one year was um, when we were walking through all Montreal and 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 asking the students to to you know make note of the built environment and and you know street names and so on and so forth so they noticed wow it's all colonial names it's all European saint this and and Marguerite that and so on and so so you become aware by the by the very absence of reference to indigenous reality and history and and contemporary reality um, of that that um, there's been an erasure. So what are you thinking about the pilgrimage so far? I love it. <laughs> what part is your favorite part of? today so far an early day today well yeah. just waking up early with everyone so we all are commiserating about the same unpleasant circumstances and everything becomes way more enjoyable like a simple black cup of church drip coffee in a styrofoam cup becomes really exciting um, but my favorite part of the whole pilgrimage is how uh, social norms 
just kind of melt away and the hierarchy melts away and everyone is in it together and very helpful. Like when we all bought, we were all supposed to buy our own lunch, but everyone bought too much so they could share and then we had so much. It's just so beautiful. And I remember uh, you and I had a, uh, at the very beginning when, as you said, we were kind of naive and just enthusiastically throwing mm -hmm. ourselves into this. Um, we, uh, uh, we, we contacted the cultural center, uh, the Ganawake Cultural Center, and they were yep. very polite, but they also didn't really follow up with us all that well. And we were a little bit stymied. And then it was your suggestion that we should just go and uh, check out the Riverside B&B. &B. And that's when we met uh, Kenneth Atsahayan yes. here. And so um, when we met uh, Kenneth, um, that was an interesting time, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think, I think you know, part of our uh, well-intended enthusiasm um, probably manifested a, <laughs> a little bit of our own settler attitude that we had made this discovery of we wanted to do this walk and it was good timing for us so we could fly in there and and just say we're we want to do this and and you know expect to be supported and 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 lauded for all I know and and Kenneth was was uh properly as I see from now from the perspective I look at from now uh reticent uh cautious even allied people um, can still have their own sort of uh, agenda and we had to learn that yeah. and, and he and he taught us well he taught us well in a beautiful uh, polite um, as I said cautious but uh, a way that required that we establish a relationship with him yeah. and with the community. So it, it wasn't just to, to, to sort of fly in. And so that, that, that was one of my, my first real concrete understandings of, of the importance of, of relationship. Kenneth may have been cautious with us at first, but his support and encouragement and his participation are what made our pilgrimages work. I remember the first time we stood in the Riverside Inn B&B. &B. It's an unpretentious, historic stone house in the oldest part of Ganawage. It sits right up against the St. Lawrence Seaway. The Seaway wasn't always there. The Canadian government simply expropriated Mohawk farms and houses and built it, cutting the community off from the very rapids that give Ganawage its name and identity. Ganawage means on the rapids. To be in the kitchen of the Riverside Inn, Talking about government misdealings with Indigenous peoples over resources and money, when a three-story wall of steel in the form of a Great Lakes freighter silently slides by on expropriated land only yards away on the other side of the kitchen window, underlines the point. And I go back to Geneva um, because the, uh, the government of Canada is in front of the Human Rights Committee and where they are going to, the committee will evaluate, will, will uh, wants to ask questions on Canada on how it's uh, um, uh, not treat well, it's in this case, how it's applying the, the uh, covenant on, on civil and political rights. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, of course, we have a lot to say about that. And uh, so we'll be there to, to lobby uh, the committee to ask Canada some tough questions about, about in particular, 
how, how they treat uh, Indigenous people in, in Canada. Sarah had made arrangements with Kenneth, who was at that time the owner of the Riverside Inn, to meet and talk about renting the house for our group of students. We stood visiting in the kitchen. I knew Kenneth had been the publisher of the Ganawagi newspaper, The Eastern Door. The Mohawk are the easternmost nation, traditionally considered the Eastern Door of the Six Nation Haudenosaunee Confederacy. But I didn't know anything else. As we talked about dates, Kenneth kept checking his phone calendar. Several times he had to say, I can't be here on that date because I have to be in New York City at the UN. Sarah and I clued in that we were dealing with someone doing much more than managing that particular B&B for us. When we pressed him for details, the talk turned from room sizes and beds and whether or not linens were provided to Kenneth's advocacy work at the UN. At that time, he was a member of the working group developing the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. For years, he had been traveling back and forth to New York and Geneva using a Mohawk uh, passport. Since 1987, I mean, every year, at some point in time, sometimes many, many times a year, uh, I, I go to the United Nations in Geneva and uh, in the last 15 years to the, uh, to the UN in, in, in New York. Uh, I'm leaving uh, today. Uh, there's, a, uh, there's a symposium. It's called the Second Symposium on uh, Indigenous Peoples' Participation in, in the UN. And, and that is a four-day symposium. And what we're looking at is the history of uh, when Indigenous people started coming to the UN in, uh, um, I guess, most, uh, since 1977 uh, to, to the present, and, and what, what did we accomplish in 19, from 1977 until, uh, until today? And that's what we're, we're, we're evaluating that, we're, 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 um, we're putting all that information together, and we're sort of passing the torch on to the next generation of young people who are coming up to replace all us old guys. You know. Kenneth is a quiet, soft-spoken man. He speaks with authority and with passion about the struggles of Indigenous peoples in Ganawagi and the whole world over. By the end of our kitchen visit, I guess he must have seen our desire to work cooperatively with the community and our willingness to admit that we knew very little, but that we were open for guidance. He invited us to come with him to the cultural center. Before we knew it, we were seated at a conference table with the staff. Sarah and I had planned a trip to Ganawagi in a rather haphazard way, as she indicated, that didn't necessarily respect Ganyagahaga ways. We were fortunate enough to stumble into someone who mentored us in how to move ahead. We walked through a very, very urban uh, landscape, yep. in old Montreal and into uh, uh, Point St. Charles and then into Verdun and uh, Nuns Island, but also, uh, also kind of pastoral landscapes or rural, uh, not rural, but uh, countryside-ish uh, along the seaway. Um, and that brings up the idea that uh, the name Ganawagi uh, is actually means place of the rapids. And what's ironic about that? Yeah, uh, what's ironic is that um, the seaway cut uh, the people of Ganawage off from the rapids, from the river, uh, from their uh, source of uh, a source of food, of recreation, uh, and just of again of relationship with uh, with the natural world. Um, there's a few things interesting about that that seaway walk. Um, so the um, uh, we had to walk along a little spit of land that um, uh, borders the seaway and um, was actually man-made uh, from uh, land that was taken from 
the South Shore, including um, Mohawk territory in Ganawagi. So land was actually appropriated. And now we're walking on this artificial man-made landscape, which uh, has uh, since become naturalized. So uh, there's trees and, and, and there's the river and so on. And you can see the students uh, visibly relaxing and enjoying that quasi-natural environment. Just a little bit of green is obviously so um, nourishing to them. And yet again, there's this complex layering of hist histories and cultures and, and uh, you know, beauty with, with, frankly, horror. Sarah, what was the definition of pilgrimage you guys came up with? Oh my. What was it? Just to repeat all this. No, just a quick definition of pilgrimage. There isn't one. Let's, let's look at what we came up with. It's an intentional journey. Yeah. It becomes a pilgrimage when you submit to the experience, which you cannot fully control. It involves supporting each other, therefore com both communion, that's one-on-one -on -one and communitas as a group, but also because there's an inner and outer component, it's also personal, yeah. not just communitarian. Um, and um, I'm gonna let you say what you want to say about liminality because I got that wrong when I repeated it. Yes, I, I would say that um, after experiencing communitas, like bonding, there's, there are worries about like what we will become. Part of our uh, work with the students uh, in that walk was to have them uh, submit a journal of their experiences. So they have some time to reflect on what they experienced, um, both together as a group and, and with us as their profs and, and learning uh, the history of colonization and, and uh, indigenous history and contemporary reality. So to see how affected they are by it and, and um, just a little follow-up on that, um, I had a student in a class this summer who sent me an email um, talking about how he still thinks about it. And this is, gosh, I don't even know when we had him three years ago, four years ago, maybe even longer. And he literally said it changed his life. If you'd like to know more about our Ganawagi pilgrimages over the years, check out my website, www.somethinggrand.ca or look up the articles in Concordia's newsletter and the Concordian student newspaper. If you're in the Montreal area, take in the Ganawagi powwow or check out their coffee shops and restaurants. If you're somewhere else in Canada, look for Indigenous-sponsored public activities, including powwows near you. I highly recommend the book 21 Things You May Not Know About the Indian Act by Bob Joseph. One of the things, uh, the book 21 Things You May Not Know About the Indian Act recommends as a practical first step for Canadians who want to begin to live in the right way with Indigenous peoples is to frequent Indigenous businesses, listen to Indigenous speakers, and buy books by Indigenous authors. 
CBC Radio has not only the fantastic program Unreserved, but also lots of Indigenous-led and themed podcasts that might be of interest. The important thing is to adopt a stance of learning. There's much for us to learn and to just take the first steps. And I think it changed ours too, eh, Matthew? I think, you yeah. know, so, so if we want to think about pilgrimage as as uh, transformative probably in ways that you can't predict or plan or can fact yourself but but i think that that's probably what really has stayed with me is that transformative reality yeah over the years sarah and i took students in our pilgrimage class on the walk from old montreal to ganawagi mohawk nation at least four times once we helped lead a group of Concordia's senior academic staff into meetings in the community, and once we took a walking territorial recognition in advance of a conference, Theology in the City. My church, the Eastern Synod of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in Canada, saw what I was doing. When Sarah and I couldn't find funds to support our department's students, they offered us support to help students go on the walks. More and more Ganyagaha students at Concordia are seeking out our classes and other classes at the university. We have an ongoing healthy relationship with Ganawagi. But it all started for us, at least, as Sarah said, because of the mentorship we received. Sarah and I and our students have been so fortunate to have the guidance of Kenneth Atsahayendu Deer, Orenda Gonwawe Nodion, Boucher, who talked to us about Gattery, Thomas De Awasante Deer, and others from Ganawagi. We also have benefited from the help of Christine Jameson, my friend and colleague who is Boothroyd Naklakpamuk's First Nation, and the Loyola Peace and Justice Funds, and from the Concordia University Part-Time Faculty Association. Good. Hard at times, but very rewarding. Yeah? What, yeah. Was, what was the hardest part? Uh, Saturday, walking, being in pain. <laughs> in many ways, an Indigenous community is like any community. Its people know each other, but if you're a settler, they don't necessarily know you. They have customs you need to learn and respect. They may be slightly suspicious of outsiders, in the case of First Nations, for good reason. If we who are non-Indigenous and Canadian want truly to learn from them, our task is to be open and respectful. Engage on their terms. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thanks. Like Sarah says, she and I and our non-Indigenous students have been forever changed by the old Montreal to Ganawagi walks and the Ganyagaha we've met. Thanks to all those who've helped out with this episode of Pilgrimage Stories from Up and Down the Staircase. Thanks to Professor Mike Loft of Ganawagi for his talks every year for us at the Hochelaga Rock. Thanks to Kenneth and Sarah, my main interviewees. Thanks to James Anderson for his incomparable harmonica music and Gabe Morehouse Anderson for helping me out on guitar. And thanks especially to all the students who've accompanied me and Sarah over the years and some of whose voices you've heard. Well-meaning groups of Canadians like ours will sometimes ask how we might be allies to the Indigenous peoples. Ironically, it turns out they are most often the allies and the elder councillors to us, as historically they always have been. I was very proud of my institution when Concordia University awarded Kenneth Atsahendu Deer an honorary doctorate in 2015. I'm Matthew Anderson, the Staircase Pilgrim, and I look forward to seeing you next episode of Pilgrimage Stories from Up and Down the Staircase. See you next time.
And one of the best parts of the tradition for us is, is having you speak with us mm -hmm. and introduce us to the community, and not just the community but, uh, here, but also the wider uh, work that you do and the experience you bring to the international struggle for Indigenous rights. So that's very much appreciated. And, uh, and okay, well, thank you. We're very thankful. There's a, a thank you card. Okay, thank and you. And then this is something, uh, I don't, uh, I'm originally from Saskatchewan, uh -huh. and uh, the First Nations people that I know from out west, they always talk about being connected to the land, mm -hmm. and that a gift should be something that shows a connection to the land. So these are chocolate-covered Saskatoon berries. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to, moose droppings, I was afraid. They look the same, you sure, eh? you sure? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe they'll be good on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be the only one eating them. All right, well, thank you so much. Thank and you. come back again. Yay.